The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here, and uh, it is good to be with you. Uh, we're glad that you're with us this morning. And uh, if, if you've been with us last number of weeks, then you know that uh, last week we finished a very short four-week series uh, looking at the implications of the resurrection. So we did this by looking at 1 Corinthians 15, And last week, Andrew completed our series in 1 Corinthians 15 by looking at those last few verses that that are there. Well, now that we're done with 1 Corinthians 15 and moving into the summer months, I'm sure that if you've been with us in the past, you you are expecting that we're going to be spending the summer in the Psalms because, well, that's what we do. (laughs) But but actually, this summer, we're going to be doing, excuse me, something a little bit different, and that's because uh, in three Sundays, I will be on sabbatical. And so, um, so after this week, I have two more Sundays with y'all, and then I'll be on sabbatical, and we'll return in the fall. Um, and so, during the summer, uh, Andrew and Tobias are planning, and have planned already, a sermon series looking at Revelations chapter 1 through 3, Revelation 1 through 3, and considering the, the words that John speaks to the churches of Revelation. So that's what you can look forward to this summer. But instead of me beginning that now and, you know, us, uh, you know, me going on sabbatical and whatnot, um, we're going to spend these next three Sundays together looking at three different psalms. Because I can't help it. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, And so this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 66. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 66. There are also Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we'll project the passage in just a moment. But Psalm 66 is a psalm of thanksgiving. Now, if you're familiar with the psalms, with the Psalter, then you know that thanksgiving is a common genre. There are a number of psalms of thanksgiving. In fact, there are 38 times where we hear the author of psalms where the psalmist will give thanks on his behalf or call God's people to give thanks together, to praise God by thanking him, right? I mean, we know that refrain that that probably many of us have committed to memory. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks. Now, that exact phrase isn't in our psalm, in Psalm 66, and in fact, the word thanks isn't in our psalm. But yet, in our psalm, the psalmist is calling all the earth, and then he's calling the people of God, and then he's calling himself to come into the presence of the Lord with thanks. But why? What causes him to erupt in thanks? What causes him to sing these words? Well, let's read Psalm 66. To the choir master, a song, a psalm. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name, Selah. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. 
There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip? For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to the place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Selah. Come and hear all who fear, the, who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We are thankful that out of your goodness and kindness that you have given it to us, that you have given us your spirit to lead us and to guide us. And so we pray that by your spirit, you would show us your truth, the beauty of your word, and that we would walk with you, that you would allow my words to give you glory and honor, that you would allow the attentiveness of our hearts to, to honor you. For you are our God and our King, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So why should we give thanks? Maybe that question's never actually run through your mind. I mean, you're coming to church, you're here, right? Thanks is a common refrain within the Psalms, and not just the Psalms, but throughout the Scripture. And so maybe you've never thought about it. In fact, maybe I just introduced that question into your mind for the first time. Why give thanks? I mean, what do we have to be thankful for? Especially when we look around the world, right? When we look at what we see, when we see what we've been through, when we hear of the hard things that are occurring, what causes us thanks? Do you know that over the last two years, that depression and anxiety have increased 28 and 26% across the globe? We know that depression and anxiety are skyrocketing amongst our teenagers, Earlier this year, a poll found that 29% of healthcare workers are expected to leave their profession. 55% of educators are expected to leave before they ever planned, and two in five pastors seriously considered leaving the ministry. Now, you may not be in one of those fields. You may not be experiencing that anxiety or depression, but you experience inflation, Rising prices, products, shortages, we see war in Ukraine, violence in our cities, and a general sense of unrest, and we experience all of that before we even get on social media. And we see that filled with angry, overwhelmed, and biting posts. And they keep showing up in our feed because that's how the algorithm is designed. They're supposed to keep showing up because that's what we keep clicking on. And we can wonder, seeing all of this, why should we give thanks? What are we thankful for? We hear the words of the psalm, verse 1, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. 
And to our ears, it may sound like the psalmist is ignoring the struggle that we experience. He's pretending that everything is good, that this is simply the biblical version of Lloyd Dobler's just decide to be in a good mood and be in a good mood. But that's not what the psalm is doing. You see, our thanks to God is not a result of ignoring difficulty or sweeping it under the carpet or pretending there is no struggle. The Psalms don't do that. In fact, the Psalms are very honest with struggle and difficulty. If you've been with us in summers past, you know that lament is the primary genre of the Psalms. And so the Psalms are filled with crying out to God, of pleading with him, of telling him of all the problems that we experience. In fact, next Sunday, we'll look at one of those Psalms. And so the psalmist isn't pretending there is no struggle. No, when he calls us to rejoice, to give thanks, what he is doing is what the commentator Marvin Tate tells us, that thanksgiving is set in a theological context that is larger than that of purely personal concerns. In other words, our thanks to God is rooted in something stronger than circumstance and deeper than situation. Our thanks is ultimately rooted in God's works. That's why we give thanks. Because of God's works. That's what we see from the psalmist in verse 3. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. Then verse 5, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. See, it is the deeds of God that are producing the rejoicing and celebrating, the singing and the thanks that the psalmist is talking about. It's God's works, his deeds, but it's not just his deeds or works generally speaking. The psalmist has one particular one in mind, the deed and work of redemption. We see it in verses 6 and 7. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Now, it's clear what the psalmist is talking about. He's talking about the exodus and then the, the um, passing over, passing through the Jordan River into the promised land. Right? And we remember what occurred there. Right? God was delivering his people from Egypt, from the place of slavery, from the land of bondage. And as he's be leading them through the wilderness towards the promised land, they are confronted by a sea. And on the other side of them is Egypt's army. And they're trapped. Right? And you remember what happened, right? The, the people of God, they started to wonder, maybe we shouldn't have left Egypt. Maybe it was better to have stayed there. We are dead. We will be destroyed. But God delivered them. He rescued them. He parted the sea and they walked through on dry land. And Egypt's army came after them and the waters descended upon them and destroyed the enemies of God. And he continued to lead them towards the promised land. And he parted the Jordan River and they entered the land of promise. God redeemed his people. That's what that is. It is God's redemption it is his work on their behalf. It is his salvation. And throughout the Old Testament, the people of God are called to remember this great work of God. 
how God saved them, how God delivered them, right? The Psalms and the writings and the prophets, they constantly are pointing back to the Exodus. Remember God's redemption. That you are no longer enslaved. You are no longer weighed down by bondage. You have been redeemed. That's why they are to give thanks. Because of the redeeming works of God. But that redemption isn't just for Israel of old. That redemption is for us. But we don't have to look as far back as the Exodus to see it. We know we are to give thanks because of the cross. Because it's in the cross that we have God's greatest act of redemption. Because it's in the cross where Jesus took our sin upon himself. Where he rescued his people from the slavery and bondage to sin. From the judgment that we were deserving. That is why we give thanks. Because Christ has redeemed us. What that means is that if you are trusting in Jesus this morning, then no matter your circumstance... You can give thanks. Then no matter your circumstance, we have something to be thankful for. Now listen, you know what makes this hard? What makes this hard is even when we remember all that God has done for us, even when we can remember his hand of salvation, even when we remember his redemption, is that oftentimes our circumstance and situation, they go up and down, right? Like, Today, maybe we feel, we feel burden, and tomorrow maybe is going to be difficult, but Tuesday, it might be glorious, and next week is wonderful, and we feel this up and down, don't we? And so it makes it hard for us to give thanks. Kat described this recently to me as emotional whiplash. <laughs> and she's right, that's what it feels like, doesn't it? At one moment, we're at the peak of celebration, and then we get whiplash into the place of sadness. And in that whiplash, in that changing, in that rolling and rising and falling, it can be hard to give thanks. And yet, friends, the truth is, is that if you trust in Christ, regardless of whether you are, are at the peak of celebration or the pit of sadness, his work doesn't change. His redemption doesn't fluctuate. You are those for whom God has sent his son to redeem. And I don't know what you are bearing this day or what will come upon your plate tomorrow. I don't know what you are dealing with, but I do know this, that regardless of what you are dealing with, God's redemption is still true. It does not change. And y'all, that is worth giving thanks for. That is worth being thankful for. Because God has done something that is not dependent on how our day is going or our situation. It doesn't fluctuate with weeks or seasons. His redemption does not change. Verses 8 and 9, let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip? He doesn't let your feet slip. He has preserved us and rescued us and saved us. That is why we give him thanks, because of his redemption. Okay, that's the why. So what about the when? When do we give thanks? Well, we give thanks at all times. We give thanks in times of joy and celebration. Now, 
Now, I'm sure you're thinking, well, of course we give thanks during joy and celebration. That goes without saying. And it should go without saying. But, but let's just think about our lives for a minute. Think about our prayers, right? We ask God, you know, work and move in this way. You know, please do X, Y, or Z for us. Please provide in this sort of a way, right? We, we ask these sorts of things. These are common prayers that we'll ask. And, and, and by his grace, by his mercy, by his kindness, he, he provides for us exactly what we ask. And so what do we do? right? We erupt in thanksgiving, right? We we erupt in praise. We tell everyone about what God has done, right? No. (laughs) No, we move on to the next thing to ask him for. Don't we? I mean, we might give a little head nod, like, okay, you know, praise the Lord, and I'll praise you again if you do X, right? (laughs) I mean, that's what, I know it's not very, you know, it doesn't sound very pious and holy, but that is what goes on in our hearts, And so though it should go without saying that we would give thanks in times of celebration and rejoicing, the truth is, is we need reminding to give thanks. But it's not just in times of celebration. You see, what makes the thanks of a believer distinctive is that we give thanks also in times of difficulty. We give thanks at all times. Now, as I said before, this isn't ignoring difficulty or pain or sadness. The Psalms don't do that. But look at verses 10 through 12. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Do you hear that language? Tested, tried, burdened. Men rode over our heads. Now, we don't know exactly what the psalmist is referring to here. He might be thinking about a time in the history of Israel. He might be thinking about just his own emotional experience. We don't know. But what we do know is that he's acknowledging pain and difficulty and saying that there is actual hardship. But that's not where the psalmist ends. He doesn't stay there. If you're following along, you know I stop midway through verse 12. Look at the end. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. We have been tried and tested. We have been burdened and men have ridden over our heads. We've been through fire and water. And yet, you have brought us out. You did not leave us nor forsake us. You were with us. You see, this care of God, it it is shown throughout the scriptures. The way that he is with us in the midst of difficulty, the way that he is with us in the midst of pain, how he brings us out of that place. Right, like in, in Isaiah 43. Thus says the Lord, he who created you, he who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I am with you. The waters and the fires, they are no match for the Lord. I will bring you out 
into the place of abundance. Or Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. You will not leave us nor forsake us. That is the promise of God. That is why even in times of difficulty and struggle, we can still give thanks because God does not remove his presence from us. In fact, we know that in those times of trial that God is using it to refine us. That's why James says, To count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, friends, we give thanks in every season and in every time because God does not leave you. We actually sang it in that song, right? Nothing can pluck us from his hand. Not hell, not the schemes of man, not principalities, not powers, nothing. That is why we give thanks. Because he does not leave his people. Because of his presence, we can give thanks at all times. But we also give thanks in the presence of others. Not just at all times, but in the presence of others. Look at verses 13 through 16. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. So do you see what the psalmist, where the psalmist goes? He doesn't just give thanks in the privacy of his own home. He doesn't just say it in the quiet of his own mind. He goes to the place of worship, right? That's what he's describing when he speaks of God's house. He goes to the place where God's people gather together, and he goes and he speaks thanks in their presence, right? Come in here, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. And in doing this, what the psalmist is doing is he is inviting others to share in his thanks. Isn't that beautiful? That, that the thanks that you have, I get to share in. That is a good thing. That that is how we are connected and united together in such a way that when, when rejoicing and thanksgiving falls upon your life, it, it falls upon mine. And so this should cause us to ask a couple questions. The first question it should cause us to ask is, is what, how do we respond when others are full of thanks and are rejoicing? Now, I see a few funny looks because you're think, thinking, uh, well, duh, we're thankful. But here again, are we? I mean, let's investigate our own hearts. When on a Sunday morning someone arrives and they talk about that uh, promotion they got, and they're overwhelmed, they're so excited, they, you know, they can't wait to go to work on Monday, and you're still stuck in that job that you've hated for a decade? Or, or when you find out that um, your friend's daughter made the team and yours is still on the sideline. Or that son 
got into that school that your son wanted to get into? I mean, is it thanks and rejoicing that well up in our hearts? Or is it resentment? Jealousy? Is it, is it that we start running through all those thoughts of like why we should have gotten what they got and why they shouldn't have gotten what they got? You know, as though like if God only knew what I knew. And yet, what we are called to do is to rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what Paul says. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And that's what the psalmist is inviting us to do. When there is something worthy of celebration in the life of another part of God's people, that we would join in that celebration. That we too would give thanks for the grace and the mercy and kindness that he has showered upon them. This isn't, the kingdom of God isn't zero sum. It's not a zero-sum game. We can rejoice that the more that God gives to another, that we can actually take thanks in that, that it stirs in us greater joy. And so we respond to the thanksgiving of others with thanksgiving. But the second thing we need to ask is if the psalmist comes into the presence of God's people with thanks, we need to ask ourselves, what are we bringing? What are the repeated themes that are coming out of our mouths? You know, we live in a day and a time uh, when anger and cynicism and complaint are the norm. Now, now, maybe it's always been, you know, maybe it's always been the norm and we just, because we're, uh, you know, the internet and we're more connected and, you know, the last couple of years and whatever, that we're just experiencing it more. But, but there is no question we are experiencing it more. Anger, cynicism, complaint. Whereas joy and celebration and thanks seem very infrequent. So what are we bringing? And y'all, that's not just out there, right? Like that can seep into our lives. Right? We can be cynical. We can be contrarians. And yet, if you are a Christian and you are trusting in Jesus then you have something to be thankful for. You have something to be thankful for. You, you have something to be thankful for that's God's redemption and his steadfast love. I mean, that's where the psalmist ends, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Do you hear that? That no matter what may come, no matter what you experience, God's steadfast love remains. His steadfast love, you've heard us say before, as we've quoted another author, that God's steadfast love is his unending, unfading, unbreaking, always and forever love. That is the kind of love that he showers upon his people. And that, friends, if that is all that we have in this world, that is by far more than enough for us to give thanks a love that would send his son, a love that would redeem, a love that will stay with us for all time. When we remember that, when we walk in his presence, when we know that love, friends, how can we not be thankful? Let's give him thanks now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have not left us to ourselves, but you have redeemed us. 
And you have not just redeemed us, you, you are leading us into your truth. You are turning us away from sin. You are leading us in the way of righteousness. And so we thank you. We thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives as individuals. We thank you for the work that you are doing in our church. We thank you that all the earth will one day rejoice and celebrate our Lord and Savior. And so we pray that you would constantly remind us of the redemption that is ours because of Christ, and that you would fill our mouths with thanksgiving, so that today and all of our days we would give you thanks, because you are our Redeemer, our Savior, our friend. And we pray all this in Christ's name, and God's people said together, Amen.